Welcome to C-Store Technology Oracle, a podcast featuring discussions with experts about technology disruption and how it is impacting convenience stores today, as well as what's ahead for tomorrow. I'm your host, Aaron Del Conte, Executive Editor with C-Store Decisions. Today, we're speaking with Ramon Lowe, the publisher of Airport Experience News. Ramon and I met recently at NACUS, which is the National Association of College Auxiliary Services, where he and I were speaking. I was speaking about convenience store trends, and he was talking about trends in the airport industry. So today, uh, he's going to fill us in on what's happening in the airport industry, including trends on airport convenience stores and food service operations, as well as how their industry is handling technology disruption. And you know, I know I've heard it said before that in the age of disruption, it's really important to look outside your own industry to, to see how other industries are handling some of these similar new challenges. So I think this is gonna be a fun conversation today. So thank you for being here, Ramon. Aaron, thank you for inviting me. Great. Well, you know, to kick things off, since our listeners don't know you, can you give them some information about yourself and your publication and and a little bit about the audience that your publication serves? Uh, sure, will do. Um, so the public, I'll start with the publication. Uh, we started really as a newsletter and then transitioned to a magazine, but we were first known as Airport Retail News, and we kind of came on at a time in covering airports uh, when... Airports were shifting from the very, what we call like white label kind of um, food and retail offerings. You know, you would have like hamburger, pizza, hot dog, et cetera, nothing uh, to write home about. And then it was trending towards what we call national brands, which uh, you will probably recognize as like the McDonald's, Burger King's, uh, Taco Bell's, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So uh, we started as airport retail news, transitioned to the magazine format. We then became airport revenue news to really cover all the other, uh, I guess, uh, sources of revenue in an airport beyond just food and retail. Uh, mm -hmm. We did parking, car rental, um, et cetera. But you know what? Everyone still loves the, the food and the retail aspect of our industry. And so that really makes up the, uh, the largest part of what we cover. We then transitioned to airport experience news about a couple of years ago, again, because the shift in the industry was really one focusing on, I guess, lack of a better term, the experience of the traveler um, was evolving. And uh, you and I, uh, you were kind enough to be on my podcast as well. And it seems like both of our industries really came across this transformative change over the years during our time with, with our, um, our industries that it, it was gone from one thing to something that's grander and, and greater. So when we say experience now, it really is, I guess it's a way for airports to say how we're better engaging and making our customers, our travelers really, uh, feel better about the environment. So we say airport experience news because we cover everything that impacts a traveler's journey from curb to gate. I've been with the publication for 15 years, uh, came from completely outside of the industry and uh, have grown up uh, in this business and uh, have loved it ever since. Very cool. So for in the past 15 years, I'm sure you've seen some some major shifts. I know you've, you've touched on a couple of them, but can you delve into that a little more and talk to us about, you know, if you had to pick the, the top three key shifts that you've really seen happen over the last 15 years in the airport environment, what are those? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I guess 
it's only three, right? Um, I guess like any other um, industry, uh, labor is probably up there in both the, um, the cost and price of it and, and the availability of it. If you are not familiar, you know, working in an airport is not that easy. Um, so if we had to compare working, let's say, in a Wendy's in an airport versus a Wendy's on the street side, two vastly different experiences. Airports, you have to be up at the break of dawn and who knows when your shift might end. And of course, um, it's not exactly right around the corner. So it's difficult to get folks to maybe even come to the airport and see it as a, a place of um, place to work, as opposed to one that might be right around the corner or the ease of working at one around the corner from their home. And therefore we do pay more because the, the cost of um, doing business in airports is, is greater and employees have to be badged, et cetera. So with an unemployment uh, thankfully being low and unfortunately being low, we're just not seeing enough. Um, at one time, we're not seeing quality employees now or quality candidates. Now we're just looking for candidates, period. So labor definitely is up there. The cost of construction is, is the second one. You know, airports, and I'm sure we'll delve into this later on, are, it's a secure environment. So when you're traveling in with, let's say, five hammers and three screwdrivers, you better be leaving with five hammers and three screwdrivers. <laughs> and because of that, the operating hours as such are not like what you would typically find anywhere else. Sometimes a bulk of the, the build after hours, which you're often paying overtime or, or maybe double time. Um, but also just the cost of materials to build out are, are just tremendous. I know at NACUS, when I was sharing some information about the cost of build out, it shocked a lot of people to find out that sometimes retail stores can cost anywhere about $1,000 per square foot to build. And that's for a retail store. And I'm not even talking about food. So the cost to build is a big thing. Um, and the third trend or issue, I guess, challenge or however you want to look at it in our space, just a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, in the recent space. You know, we are a very niche industry, highly specialized. I'm sure anyone else can say that about their, in, about their vertical. Uh, but we're very specialized, um, high barrier to entry. So when you're looking at operators, who are smaller operators um, who, for whatever reason, maybe the cost of operating, the cost to compete, et cetera, are too great. Um, you know, they do end up selling their contracts in real estates to much larger competition. And therefore, now you have fewer competitors bidding on a finite number of contracts that come up, you know, fairly regularly now. So the reduction in competition is just I guess the third challenge. I don't really want to put those in any kind of order, but I mean those are the three that I guess anyone in this space would probably agree to. Great. And I know for anyone listening in the convenience store space, I know that these things are, are resonating, uh, especially the, the labor one, finding quality employees for convenience stores in such a tight labor market is definitely a challenge that convenience store operators are up against. And I know you mentioned that the unique challenges to airports and, you know, some of the ways that, that you're handling that in, in your industry, such as, you know, uh, airports paying a bit more since people have to uh, be up at certain hours and, and travel maybe quite a ways from their home as opposed to going to their neighborhood retail store. Um, what else are airports doing to try to you know solve this this labor issue or to make themselves more appealing uh, on the labor front to potential employees? I, I think you mentioned it in your um, in your presentation, Nakus. You know, it's um, reducing friction. I don't think we can completely eliminate friction, but I think at least for our space, we're looking for ways to reduce it. So, self-ordering kiosks, mobile order apps, uh, order ahead apps, etc. Because, well, if you are, I, I don't want to say it's it's um, 
replacing labor. It's kind of just redistributing what labor we do have. So instead of having someone that's front and center uh, taking orders like a cashier, et cetera, it could be someone that's expediting or preparing, et cetera. So those, are, I guess technology in many ways is the biggest driver of how we can, I guess, mitigate the challenges with, uh, with the cost of labor. Very cool. You mentioned technology now, and I, I know one of the things that you and I talked about when, when we were speaking uh, at NACUS, you were talking about how trends in new technology can be a little bit slow to be implemented <laughs> in an airport environment. Why is that? And, and tell me some more about that. Um, well, it's very important to understand that airports are very secure, regulated government um, spaces. Um, that's that's one. Uh, the second is we have an, a saying, and you can apply this to everything in an airport, but like we have a saying in our industry is that once you've seen one airport, you've seen one airport. And that's because everyone operates just really differently and everyone has a very different mindset in terms of advancing um, technologies or accepting technologies, et cetera. So understanding that there are many layers, often, often red tape, and there are many stakeholders um, uh, in our environment, and let me take a step back in terms of stakeholders, I mean not just the airport themselves, but um, stakeholders in terms of like operators within space. If you take, uh, you know, in your backyard, O'Hare, right, there are, I can count at least on the food side off the top of my head, at least four, maybe five different food operators. That's just on the food side by the way. And so it's kind of like herding cats when you try to get them all agreed to implement a piece of technology. But going back to just, I guess, I don't want to put it at the feet of the airports, but for the most part, no one wants to be that canary in the mine, right? They want to see someone else try it first. If it works, great. I will be next in line to, to adopt it kind of thing. So I, I think that's really just the, the primary challenge in terms of adopting technology. But I think as, um, as a lot of our airport folks, and even on the, the, the operator side, are seeing and being more exposed to different industries apart from our own, and seeing how people are engaging or would like to be engaged, I think they're becoming more open to trying different things. But again, you know, you have so many different stakeholders, it's just really trying to gather and build that coalition of the willing to accept and adopt and, and implement those technologies. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And, you know, another thing that uh, we both have in common uh, with convenience <laughs> airport environments is, you know, food services is playing such a big part today. Um, I'm really interested in, in what you're seeing with that. You know, what food service trends are you seeing in airports today? Um, well, going back, uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, when, when uh, you, you mentioned in, in our podcast that you're a child of the 80s, I'm a child of the 80s as well. I remember flying actually out of O'Hare when it used to just be, you know, hamburger, pizza, whatever. And I remember when the McDonald's came up, it was like a big thing. And um, it, it started off with national brands and then it became, it, it changed to, you know, celebrity chefs, you know, the rise of the Food Network, et cetera. Then it turned into local and proprietary. And now it's shifting back to national brands. Um, I think the national brands in many ways are still going to have a space, even though a lot of the operators have kind of tried to find ways to kind of create their own Chick-fil-A or uh, Five Guys, whatever it is, because mm -hmm. we have a lot of culinarians on that side now. But I think national brands um, are continuing to, to, um, to see a resurgence in our space uh, for a number of reasons. One, I think obviously, um, you know, as connection times uh, shorten, if you're flying through, let's say, Atlanta or, or DFW, you usually have like 15 minutes, you know, you want to go be able to grab something and make it to your, you know, your gate, 
mm-hmm. in a reasonable amount of time, assuming that you're still doing it all within the same concourse. Um, I've done that in Atlanta, not fun, running from A to, 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 to B. Um, but also there's the recognition factor, right? I always say it's kind of like a seven second window. You have to get someone's attention uh, get them to understand and get them to decide. And I think for the most part, you see that or you're able to get two of those three things when you have a national brand. Uh, Jim's Burgers might be the greatest thing in the world, best burger in the world, but um, I know what McDonald's is. And McDonald's has a um, process in place that will allow me to be able to order and pick up and, and go uh, in a reasonable amount of time. So I think. Um, those types of advances on the food side are going to continue. Uh, there's a lot more technology um, that is, that's just going to completely be more adopted, I'm sure, by the airport traveler. Um, that's not to say that there won't still be um, sit-down restaurants, because I still believe there will be, depending on where you're flying from. Uh, if you're flying from what we call an origin and the destination market, that's, um, let's say, point to point, you are probably going to see a lot more local. You know, things that are local to that area that you might not find anywhere else. If you're going to be uh, going through a, a high connecting environment, maybe like a Houston or Atlanta, um, probably a lot more brands because you're trying to go from one point to the next. Not that you wouldn't see something that's particular to Atlanta or Houston, but, it, you know, you would still want to have something that's recognizable. Um, and it really, and going back to the national brands thing, I'm sorry, but the, it really dovetails back to what we'll be talking about in terms of technology in that the brands have it down. Chick-fil-A is a great example of that. I mean, everything is done with an app for the most part, at least on the street. And I think um, people are beginning to grow more accustomed to using kiosks to order and, uh, you know, using their apps to pay. We have apps that can, where you can order ahead uh, and pick up, like Grab Mobile. You can have now delivery services like at your gate where you can order from your app and have it delivered to you at your seat from wherever you are in the airport. I think those types of conveniences on the street side or outside of the airport, um, they're becoming more uh, learned behavior, I guess, in some ways. And we're just going to start seeing more of that into our space. Are you seeing that those kind of technologies that you're talking about, you know, you mentioned uh, being able to have your, your food delivered right to your seat. Is that something that is being more embraced by maybe younger travelers like that millennial Gen Z cohort? Or are you seeing that across uh, age demographics, uh, that interest in that service? I think the frequency of it will vary amongst age demographics, but I think the use of it is prevalent. Mm-hmm. Uh, across age demographics. I think uh, folks such as like, like you and I, we're around, I'm, I think we're around the same age or relatively, let's say. I think we're more apt to use it, let's say three times a month, twice a week, whatever it is. Um, but that doesn't mean that someone who might be slightly older isn't gonna use it maybe once or twice, maybe in a more controlled setting, not necessarily in the airport, but let's say a more controlled setting, let's say at work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So it's, it's still gonna be there. Um, I think one of the things that, um, I think we will see, at least in the food side, or I'd like to see, and I wrote about this, um, the rise of uh, the virtual restaurant and the ghost kitchens. You know, in our podcast, you mentioned, uh, you know, large commissaries. Um, one of the challenges that we have in our space, uh, at least on the food, um, from a food aspect, is that uh, you have restaurants or units that are um, situated in parts of the terminal that are just don't see a lot of passenger traffic. Either the gates aren't being used or... Um, or maybe the airport as a whole just uh, unfortunately suffered a reduction in, in, in uh, air service. But with a, a virtual restaurant or a ghost kitchen, using, utilizing uh, delivery services, using an app, again, it's learned behavior through services like Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats. You know, people 
can come start using that and maybe applying it into their experience at the airport. And that kind of overcomes many things. We talked about labor, you know, um, you're redistributing labor rather than having a, a frontline person. It's someone who might be um, uh, delivering the food, you know, the real estate and build out part. You're not building out a front of the house. So you're kind of lessening your costs and just building a kitchen. Um, and really it's, re it's, it's redistributing and making better use of the real estate that we have. Because again, um, it's, it's important to think of airports as really old <laughs> aging structures. A lot of them were built in the 50s and 60s. They didn't have the post 9-11 mindset yet, unfortunately. And so with that in mind, it's often fragmented and um, it's getting better. You know, Newark and JFK, DFW, LAX, et cetera, are really elevating experiences. So we're just, I think from a food service and maybe even a retail um, perspective, we're trying to find ways to kind of make the experience more seamless. And I think you're going to see that um, uh, on our side. Great. And I wanted to follow up on one of the things that you said, you mentioned ghost kitchens. And I was hoping that for anyone who's not familiar with the term, if you can kind of tell us what you mean when you say ghost kitchen. Well, it's funny because uh, when I stumbled upon this like a year ago, I thought it was kind of cool. I'm like, this has existed for a long time. So essentially a ghost kitchen is a kitchen or a restaurant and it exists. Uh, it's, it has a virtual homestead on an app, essentially using um, delivery services like Grubhub, DoorDash, et cetera. And the person who's ordering, let's say it's you or I, would never know that it does not have a front of house. It doesn't have a dine-in component. You just know that you order a burger from Jim's Burgers and it's delivered to you at your home or your work. Um, and it's catching on or it's really catching on in the street because people are used to ordering food and having it delivered. But also it's just a way that I guess expedites the experience and really helps the operator, the restaurateur, um, I guess, be a lot more successful because we hear about the failure rates of, of restaurant launches, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so ghost kitchens, at least as how they should be applied in airports, kind of the same way. I think the only hangup is that um, we have some delivery services, but they're not, uh, they don't have the penetration yet. They're not, they don't have the adoption rate yet in as many airports. So mm -hmm. um, I, th I think that trend in itself is going to be, is, is going to be huge. Interesting. And, you know, if we can drill down even, even further as we sure. talk about food service, you know, when we look at that convenience store industry, for example, and when it comes to the, the type of food service fare, um, you know, and it differs according to, to where we are in the country, but overall we're seeing uh, some trends toward, uh, you know, fresh food, healthy food, sometimes plant-based food, uh, you know, veggie burgers yes. and things like that. I'm curious, are you seeing those sorts of things or what are you seeing as far as you know, the, the types of food that are trending in an airport environment, or, or does it differ depending on what airport you're in? No, you're seeing more and more of it. There's one operator called HMS Host. Um, they are the largest in our industry in terms of real estate, and they came out with um, uh, Eat, Travel Well, I, I believe is their initiative. And they created these uh, a set of grab-and-go items that are fresh, and they cater to different um, I guess, uh, diet lifestyles, right? If it's keto, paleo, uh, gluten-free, et cetera. Um, so everything that you're buying in there, if you're doing keto, is very keto-friendly. So there are very, a, a lot of the airports are looking at that, uh, or the operators, to say, are implementing um, elements of that in their, um, in their restaurants and even in the convenience stores, that, or we call them travel essential stores. Mm -hmm. Because again, the, the, the viewpoint at one time was, if you're gonna be traveling through an airport, you're not gonna get anything great 
let alone anything healthy. So we're reversing that trend now and making sure that we can offer more gluten-free options, more uh, paleo or keto-friendly uh, options. So I think that's going to continue. With regards to fresh, um, I'm not going to lie, it, it, it's, you know, the logistics of getting food to and from an airport, or at least delivering the ingredients to and from an airport, very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we're a secure environment, so it's got to be screened when it gets on, on site. And it's, it's checked constantly as it makes its way just from receiving to the restaurant or the commissary kitchen itself. Um, but we have the, um, I guess, depending on which airport you're in, we have the critical mass of travelers that can uh, do the grab and go because of the short connection times, that grab and go is a great opportunity to really push the healthy element. And I think um, as people are really watching and counting their calories like I am, um, it, it, it's a great offering and will continue. Great, and you know, you mentioned the, the airport convenience stores, or I think you said you called them travel- Travel essential, travel essential stores. Mm -hmm. Travel essential stores. As I've gone through the uh, airport essential stores, I've seen the, the open air cooler cases more frequently with fresh and, and healthy food in there. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about what is changing and happening in that space. Um, and it doesn't necessarily even have to apply to food service, but just are, are there any major shifts that you're seeing in that space specifically? In travel convenience, it's 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 very difficult. So travel convenience, um, very you know, again, it's it's our equivalent equivalent of the convenience store, mm -hmm. and um, you know they have they are contractually bound to be to only carry and offer certain products. And I say that because again, if you think of say like a mall, you know, you have to look at what we call adjacencies. So if you have, I'll say like a Chili's next door and a Chick Fil A that are sandwiching a con travel convenience store, they, that travel convenience store isn't exactly going to start offering warm prepared chicken nuggets or tenders, right? Uh, or even hot coffee. Um, there are um, contractual parts contracts that will prohibit them from offering that. But that doesn't mean that they can't, they can't have elevated offerings that are, are grab and go. Hudson is one where they have their, uh, I think it's called Traveler's Best, uh, series again, very similar prepackaged foods, but it's a curated um, series of fresh ingredients that do cater certain diets and lifestyles. So um, it's difficult because I think from our conversation, um, convenience stores have that ability to offer as wide a range uh, of offerings as they as they want, as long as there's a demand for it. Um, unfortunately, because things are contractually bound in an airport space, it's it's a little more limiting. So that, that's, that's unfortunately the sad part. But I think with that type of restriction, it's really causing these, uh, the travel convenience operators to think a lot more innovatively in what they offer. Mm -hmm. And so to go with that innovation, one innovation we're seeing in the convenience store market is uh, what's happening with Amazon Go <laughs> and autonomous checkout and retailers are looking at, you know, how do we respond? So I'm interested in, in getting some of the news that you have on this or the information you have from an airport's perspective. Do you see Amazon Go entering airports and, and what might be happening with that or not happening with that? Well, I will preface this by saying I'm not pro or con in terms of Amazon Go. I'm not shilling for Amazon Go at all. Um, uh, my feeling when it was announced, uh, gosh, over a year ago, and I was interviewed about it, uh, you know, what do you think about Amazon Go getting in the airports? Because they made that sort of announcement. I, I said, 
and I still feel this way. I think it's a great idea. And I, I do believe and predict that they will um, eventually make their way into the airport environment in some, in, in some way. Um, you know, I think it's important to back up a little bit, you know, the way we operate, because if you think about one concourse, airports put their packages, all those spaces, they put them in packages, they put them up for a competitive bid. And um, it's just a matter of whether Amazon is going to bid on their own. Are they going to partner up with another company or, or what? Um, you know, so there is a tendering process in our space. It's not just like, hey, there's an empty bay. Let me fill it like we would see in a traditional shopping center. Um, but as far as the Amazon Go uh, store, I think it can be very, very successful in our space. With regards to the Amazon Go, I guess, theory and concept of how it should operate in terms of like um, self-checkout, um, autonomous checkout, as you were mentioning, mm -hmm. I think there are elements of that now. There are um, stores, at least that I know of, imminently that put all those elements together. Um, I was in Phoenix. Actually, we were, I was flying home from Nacus. I was in Phoenix there at a Hudson store, and there was a self-checkout where I just walked up, and I could have scanned whatever I was buying and um, paid and, and gone, and there wasn't uh, didn't have a need for um, cashier. Mm -hmm. um, but I believe that there are going to be companies out there, and I, I know there are, who will um, offer out-the-box solutions that will try to probably mimic the um the experience of an amazon go store like you were saying something like autonomous or self-checkout mm -hmm. but if i think the way amazon go works is you have your and i haven't i have not uh you know ventured into an amazon go store i'm just going off of what i read but apparently mm -hmm. if you have a prime account you can walk in scan your phone it knows that ramon has walked through he just bought a bag of gummy bears and some juice and he walked out and then i'm charged for it uh through my prime app and i don't have to stop and do anything. I think that that process will definitely work because we are a very time-starved environment. But putting everything together, uh, I think, might be a challenge. If there is to be an app that people use to, I guess, also mimic that part, I think it'd be difficult because there's the familiarity aspect. Um, again, not shilling for Amazon, but Amazon is a known entity. It's a trusted entity as opposed to what you might see from an XYZ app. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say that XYZ app is less um, in quality or not as great as Amazon. It might be superior to Amazon, but again, it's just not as highly recognizable or maybe even widely adopted. So I think um, with that, that's probably the danger in trying to mimic the, the whole end-to-end -end Amazon Go experience. It's kind of like, you know, when Microsoft came out with the Zoom, you know, it was like their answer to, to the iPod at one time and it failed because they didn't have the whole end-to-end -end experience of like the iTunes store, the, the user base behind it, et cetera, to really support the product succeeding. I think that's the same thing here. You know, Amazon has done a, a phenomenal job in obviously creating a, a loyal following um, and making something very, very simple for people to use to implement it in uh, college campus, uh, airports, uh, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, you know, just as a point of clarification, you know, we, I'm in Chicago. I've been to the Amazon Go here. Oh, one cool. Of there is actually like an actual Amazon Go app that's, you know, separate from, from their other Amazon app. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had the experience of getting to, to log into that and, you know, scan to go in and, and pick up my products. And it is a really cool experience when you go through and, uh, feels a little strange to just walk out with your products <laughs> and then you know all of a sudden you get a receipt and it, it is a, a really neat experience um, but it but it's still tied to your prime account if you have one correct i mean it's still 
Yeah. So I think, so they created this whole, and say what you will about Apple, because Apple did this phenomenally, but like, you know, they created this whole ecosystem where everything is really dependent upon one another. So if they created a Go app, Amazon Go app, and Amazon Prime app, Amazon Airport app, whatever it is, um, I, I think it's unfortunately going to all work, work well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm jealous. I'd love to, uh, to experience it myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm interested. You're talking about apps. I'm I'm interested to know uh, what else is happening with some of these um, aspects of technology that we're seeing. So l- let's let's talk a little bit more about mobile apps and how you're seeing those used in an airport environment today. Well, the mobile apps right now, the airports have their own mobile apps. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, DFW has one I know that 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 that's, that actually works really well. I think the the unfortunate part of it is that you know apps. Uh, at least in our space, it's so fragmented. And, and when you're traveling, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like one more thing I have to download. I have my enterprise app, my Marriott app, my DFW <laughs> app, et cetera. And now I'm like running out of space. Um, but I think that that's on the airport side. From the, um, I guess, the brand operator side, um, you know, we have something called Grab Mobile. Again, it's it's filling a need where it, it can I can order ahead a sandwich from whichever restaurant is participating in in the in the program and order it ahead have it ready for me at whatever time as i'm getting off the, my my plane and i can go and pick it up i've done this personally um and it's a great service uh, i think the challenge unfortunately is like anything else adoption um i think grab has the deepest penetration of all those similar type services uh in our space but it, it still needs more and i they're working with uh, american and dfw etc american airlines that is DFW to really keep pushing that out uh, to the consumer, but it, but it is a great service. Um, as far as the mobile apps uh, with um, with the, the Chick Fil A's, the Starbucks of the world, uh, even Dunkin', um, I think it's slowly making their way in. I think it's just a matter of trying to get all the systems to sync up and work properly uh, mm-hmm. in our space. Because again, it's just just like any other, um, you know, the folks who operate the the brands are franchisees. Mm-hmm. And, but again, they're working within a very walled universe type uh, that is the airport industry. But but mobile apps are great. It, again, frictionless, right? If that's going to be the main theme here. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we talked about, it, it's just one way to kind of like just ease the burden of someone who's going from curb to gate. And um, again, if, if our travelers are getting younger um, and that's how they like to be engaged and how they like to engage, then that is where we as an industry uh, need to kind of move towards. Mm-hmm. And I know you've also, you already touched on self-checkout and, and other kiosks. I, I'm interested in what you're seeing with robotics. Um, I know I was reading an article recently um, that was saying how Dallas-Fort Worth Airport rolled out mobile baggage robots that were able to <laughs> take international, packet, uh, international passengers' luggage, you know, mm-hmm. to to the destination. So I, I'm curious, what are you seeing with this in your industry? Well, I think there's two, two parts and I'll take the, um, I'll take the non-food, non-retail part first in terms of robotics. I think it's great. I think in, um, we look abroad in, I forgot which, air, which airport it is. It, it's an air, it's, it's actually a robot. It looks like um, Rosie from the Jetsons. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a data reference. Um, that's a baggage claim and literally saying, oh, can I help you find car rental? You know, can I help you find your bags, the right carousel to go to, et cetera, um, and engaging folks. Um, and I think it's almost expected. I think you, you see some aspects of that here. 
um, but more as a way to kind of engage people to like, you know, are you looking for the restrooms? It's over there. It's, it's not quite as dynamic yet, but I think as, as AI and machine learning, et cetera, starts to, and, and 5G start to um, become, I guess, more widely available, and they will be, I think you'll see the engagement of robots continue to evolve. Um, mm -hmm. I actually spoke to a company, that, a robotics company, that just buses tables and they could they could see having a robot delivering something that you might have ordered to you at your gate or uh, a robot going up and down uh, a terminal and, and offering you know hey would you like to buy I don't know snacks etc I think the challenge with robotics used in that sense is again we're a very secure environment and a high traffic environment um, it's it's great that like if you they have sensors to to see if like God forbid a young child runs in front of uh, one of them um, that it can stop. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think there's still too much and still needs to be worked out in some way to see how it could be used. Um, I know overseas they have spoken about using um, robots and autonomous vehicles on the on the land side, you know, on the on the tarmac, et cetera, which you know kind of scares me because you, know, <laughs> you have so many combustible. And, 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 you know, precious, uh, car, so much precious cargo on, uh, on there, but it's happening. And I think you're going to start seeing some airports doing some smaller testing of, of those types uh, of usages, hopefully in the next couple of years. Now, in terms of robotics on the food side, mm -hmm. um, I think you and I had seen it. I don't know if you'd seen it, but um, there was uh, at NACUS uh, Blended, which is, you know, a smoothie uh, concept, which makes your, your uh, makes a smoothie for you in front of you, or you can order ahead, um, was a cool thing. We have a company called Brigo, who was with us last year, and they are uh, Austin-based, and they make coffee. It's, it's a cool-looking unit, Brigo Coffee House. You can either order at the, on the, the touchscreen, or you can order on your app, and it'll say, hey, Aaron, here's your coffee latte, and it's supposed to be really, really great. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it solves, a couple, it solves several things. One, the labor issue. It's, it's, it's unmanned. Mm -hmm. um, two, it solves the real estate issue because don't quote me on this, but the Brigo machine, I think might, might take like 85 square feet, which is really not a lot. So for the most part, all it requires is an outlet, maybe not even plumbing. It obviously uh, requires electricity, but, um, it, the robotics in that sense or automated, uh, unmanned machines like that allow us to really service areas of a concourse that are under um, concessions. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I mentioned earlier, we're aging structures and sometimes we didn't, we didn't even have concessions in mind. So there might be one restaurant that serves, and I'll make it up like 5,000 people a day and it's not enough. You know, if you throw in uh, a Brigo coffee house or, or similar experiences like that one in there, I think that helps to kind of lessen the load and continue to elevate the passenger experience in that way. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these different technologies that airports are looking at are, are the same as technologies that convenience stores are, are looking at today and, and trying to, to sort out where to go. What do you think that convenience store operators could learn from airports as they look uh, to how to handle all of the disruption happening in our various industries? Um, I, I guess I can throw a couple out there. I don't know if they would necessarily be applicable. Uh, I, I think the greatest thing is, and I said it earlier, you know, we are a very controlled, um, secure, space-constrained environment. And I always say, like, you know, we're kind of like the New York of, of various environments. If you can make it in airports, you can make it almost anywhere. Um, 
the small footprint of a lot of these spaces or sometimes a non-existent footprint of some of these spaces really forces um, the operators and the brands to think very creatively in terms of how they use that space, whether it's um, different types of equipment, reducing menus, et cetera. Um, so I think that that creativity mm-hmm. is great. I'm not going to say it's, it's only just um, we have a monopoly on that type of creativity, but I know uh, firsthand from seeing it, it's definitely something you can learn from. I've eaten at a restaurant that's maybe 500 square feet and they pump out an unbelievable amount of food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, really the speed of service, uh, which goes with that. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier the shorter connection times, and I think it gets shorter and shorter, obviously, during the holidays. It's, it's very coordinated and choreographed. I've seen this firsthand in terms of um, from the moment you order to the moment it's um, delivered. Um, it could be very, very, it's very, very, very quick. And again, it could center on a number of things, the size of uh, the meals, the, the, the way it's prepared, et cetera. So I think the, you know, working within a confined space and the speed of service, I think are a couple of things that um, I would love to obviously pass on to, to other industries if it's, if it's applicable. Mm-hmm. And I think convenience stores definitely uh, know the challenges of, of working in a confined space <laughs> uh, firsthand. Well, Ramon, thank you so much for taking the time today to to chat about what's happening in your industry. Do you want to leave our readers who might want to learn more with a website or a Twitter handle or somewhere where they can find out more information from you? Sure. If you're interested, you can go to Airport X. That's the letter X. Uh, airportxnews.com. Um, and we basically cover some of the latest trends and a lot of the releases going on in this industry. And um, as far as Twitter, our handle is Airport x news uh and for me personally it's just at by like by ramon r-a-m-o-n low l-o so at by ramon low great well thank you so much for uh speaking with us today thank you for having me on 